Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Ah, good morning. Um, can we give it up again for the praise team? Um, they brought back that classic Ty Tribbett joint, Everything to Me. But that's a beautiful song. And in that song, there's a line where it describes all the things that Jesus is. He's everything to me. Hope for tomorrow. It's a blessing to think about that. But the reality, as we've been going through this series on hope, what we have discovered and kind of unpacked is that hope is not always easy to have hope for tomorrow. I mean, many of us, even if we just look this week in the news and see war in Sudan, people with fleeing, escaping, shootings for all sorts of just crazy, random reasons, you know, struggles in your own life, that it can be sometimes difficult to see hope for tomorrow. And the reality is hope is hard because life is hard. Can we keep it real? Can we keep it funky today? Like, like it's not always easy to, to have hope because life hard, is hard sometimes. It's difficult. And what we're going to look at today is in a, in a passage. We're going to take a little bit of a, a detour uh, from First Peter to look at a, a, another congregation that is written to in the New Testament that was struggling with hope for lots of different reasons. It's uh, found in the book of Hebrews. Now, the interesting thing about Hebrews is, is we don't really know who the author is. It's an anonymous letter. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't, the person doesn't say who they are, but we do know that this author who they're writing to because the letter gives various cues and clues about what they're going through. And one thing that is for sure, regardless of if you're looking at the first chapter all the way to the last, is that this was a community of faith that was finding hope hard because of dealing with issues of persecution, just things not panning out, the trials of life as they expected. And the interesting thing is the remedy that the author gives, and, and you can see it by the repetition of several key words that you see throughout the first 10 chapters. One is faith, which is mentioned four times from chapters 1 through 10, and the other is hope. That's mentioned seven times in that same. And then we go into chapter 11, and then you just see it all over the place. Because in the midst of when life is hard, hope is, becomes even more important. Hope becomes even more necessary. But what is the relationship between faith and hope? You know, sometimes we, those words are used interchangeably. And I think that we, 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 we miss an opportunity to really see and unpack how it is that we can move forward through life's difficulties if we don't really grasp the distinction and the difference between hope and faith. But in these moments of hardship, a key question becomes, 
How can I build a life of victory instead of failure? That's what we want to know, right? Like, like how can I, can I overcome? How can I, can I, how can I actually experience the victory in the midst of the various challenges and even maybe failures that we may have in life? And somehow to move them forward, the author of Hebrews takes them back to the basics. And that basic has to do with faith and hope. So today we're going to join them in asking, what is the foundation for hope? How do we build this sense of success and victory in the midst of life's challenges and hardships? And uh, we're going to focus on a verse that um, a lot of people go to to look at and define faith. Is that all right? Are y'all with me here? Yeah. All right, so we're going to be doing some teaching. Y'all know how I do, so I'm going to need y'all to talk back to me, right? Make me know that y'all still there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So Hebrews 11, verse 1, it simply says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Someone say assurance. Assurance, assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So right there in the first verse, we see both of these words, faith and hope, appear, but one is defining the other. Now, depending on the translation, I am reading from the English Standard Version, but, but that word assurance in, in various other versions has been translated differently. You might see, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. You might also see faith is the certainty of things hoped for. Faith is the reality, some translation. So, so what is it that's going on? Well, well the translators are, are trying to find it the, the pr appropriate English equivalent to a, to a Greek word that has a whole lot of meaning and depth. The Greek word is hypostasis. Hypostasis. And it has the idea of foundation or support. Now, for some of y'all, y'all know that hypo, right, means under. So like when something's hypoallergenic, it means it's under the allergy. Something's hypoglycemic, that means it's under the sugar level. Like, like when something is hypo in Greek, it means that it's under. So what it's saying, so stasis has to do with foundation, support. And so what it's saying is that the faith is something that's underneath in the foundation and the support for your life. That's why it's assurance. That's why it's certainty. That's why it is this sense of confidence, substance. When we have faith in something, the question has to be, is it enough to hold me? Is the foundation solid? Because you know, faulty foundations can be hazardous. We saw this just a couple weeks ago in that Manhattan parking garage that collapsed, killing one and injuring others. And what they found was that this thing was built almost 100 years ago, had several citations and violations. The mayor said that it was completely unstable. The foundations had cracks in it, and so it couldn't support. But do you know that morning, the people who drove their cars up there on that garage thought it could hold it, and it collapsed. What are you building your life on? Is the foundation firm, or is it not up to code? 
See, foundations are important, and foundations oftentimes take the longest to build in a building. Some of us have drawn, driven by when we've seen, looked like nothing was happening because they were building the foundation, and it took months. And then all of a sudden, the foundation was set, and then the thing shot up. Just to give you a sense of how important this is, the One World Center, when they, when they rebuilt uh, that area, uh, One World Center in Lower Manhattan, its foundation is 110 feet deep underground. That means underneath, there's a 10-story building worth of foundation to hold up what's happening up top. In life, you need a foundation that is able to support and sustain how high you want to go. And oftentimes, that which is underneath the foundation, no one sees. Nobody drives by that building and goes, man, look at that foundation. It's amazing. But here's the reality. The more you want to build, the longer the foundation, the foundation takes to build. Faith is necessary to participate in the eternal salvific promises that God has for you in your life. If I want to see God do big things in me and I want to see that sense of victory, I have to be willing to build a deep foundation. Faith is confidence in the foundation. That's what he says. Faith is, is confidence in it, right? Like it's, it's, it, it's, it's the sense of the support for that which I am building on top of. But faith or confidence in what? As we said, we've seen what happens when people put their faith in the wrong thing. Cults are built on that. Failures are built on that. And, and earlier on in chapter 10 in Hebrews, he actually explains what this foundation is. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full, there's that word again, assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed from, with pure water. Do you see what he's doing is the author is, is painting a picture and is reminding them of the Old, Old Testament system of sacrifice. The Old Testament required that a priest, the high priest, would, would go in once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, into the Holy of Holies. There was an entire rite and ritual that he had to go through to cleanse himself so that he could represent the people and then bring a lamb that was spotless and pure and clean. And that lamb that was slain would be the sacrifice for the people's sins and his sins. That was the system. But the Day of Atonement came around every year. Because the people sinned every year. He sinned every year. And if he didn't do the procedure right, if his heart was not pure and he dare go before a holy God with, without his sins being covered, he might be struck, stricken dead himself. And so this word confidence is, is really key because they didn't have a whole lot of confidence when they went into the holy place. Because a lot could have gone wrong if their heart wasn't right. But now he says we have confidence because of what? The blood of Jesus. So what Jesus does is it says that he enters the holy place metaphorically on the cross, not bringing a lamb, but being the lamb. 
Not every year, but once for all. And that is why we can have full assurance of faith because Jesus paid the price. And so now if I put my faith, confidence in him, I know where I stand with God. That's what he builds his faith on. That's what we need to build our confidence on. The only firm foundation is Jesus. That's what the author is helping us to see and helping us to understand. Faith is the foundation, the confident assurance. But then he goes on to say, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for. But what is that? And this is when we have to get into the definition of hope. According to Oxford, the definition is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, outside of church circles, we use this word and we see this word used often in the culture, right? Like, I hope I get a raise. I hope my team wins, or this time of year. There's a whole lot of hope going on with football fans. I hope this draft pick that, you know, played will actually take my team to the next level. There's a whole lot of hopes that come with that. People say, man, all I have is a hope and a prayer. And what all of these mean is that there's somehow just this thing that's out of someone's control, and that is just this thing that they're just kind of like throwing something out into the universe and hoping that it happens in a certain way. People come to the United States with lots of hopes uh, for a land of opportunity and, and, and for things to look a certain way. And, and the reality is that all these hopes eventually are short-lived and many of them fail. There's no guarantees for this type of hope. Many of us have had these type of hopes dashed And even the most optimistic people can come into seasons of life that get rough and difficult to maintain a sense of hope. But these are all at best what you could call dying hopes. Because the reality is even when you get that raise, then inflation hits, bills come up more due than before, rent is increased. And it's like, dag, I feel like now I'm even further behind. Even when that player gets drafted and then they don't become what you expect or your team wins and it's like, oh, this is all that there is. They're still next season. What are they going to do next time? All of these things that we experience in our life that even when we get the hope, we realize the hope wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. These are dying hopes. But the Bible describes a very different kind of hope. Even in the, the way that this hope is described, most of the time when we use hope, it's a verb, right? Like, I hope this or I hope that happens. But in the Bible, we actually see it's a noun. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First of all, the hope there is a noun. It's, it's a hope. But then he uses a modifier, living hope, to contrast that this hope to all the other hopes that we have that come, rise up, and fall down. He says a living hope. Someone say living hope. Living, living hope. It's not a dying hope. It's not a hope that fades, but this hope actually gets better over time. 
We have to be careful for overdying hopes. There's a gate that reads, Arbit Mach Frey in Austria. It's been there now for over 70 years. It was built by the Nazis. And what it would be was, I mean, there's so many horrors of the Holocaust that are too many to mention, but one of the most diabolical ways that the Nazis deceived and manipulated their captives was by giving them false hope. Arbit Mach Frey means work sets you free. And so instead of telling them that they were going to be systematically killed and annihilated, an act of genocide, they were told that if you work hard enough, you will be free. But this was a lie. In fact, what they were doing was prompting the people to work to exhaustion while malnourishing them so to hasten their deaths so that the harder they worked, the quicker death came. Work sets you free. Do you know we have an enemy of our souls who still deceives us with this lie? If I just accomplish enough, if I just work a little bit harder, if I just, uh, just, just prove myself to, to, to this industry, to, to this supervisor, to, to this person, if I just do that, I will be free. And it's a false hope that never satisfies. And I'm preaching to myself. I too know what it's like to have that internal engine that's just hard to shut it down at the end of the day, right? One more email, one more thing. And, and what it is is a false promise of hope that this is where you will find life. And in the meantime, relationships are getting strained. Health is declining. All the intimacy with God is going away because it's built on the false hope. But the author of Hebrews shows us a better way. In Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20, look at what he says. This is very important. Make sure you see this. Check this out. Check this out. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We ain't got time to go into Melchizedek today, but you'll just have to go and look at that on your own. But what the key thing is, look at what it says. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. We know what anchors do, you know, in, in, in a ship when there's, it's being tossed and turned and the tides are raging, and the storm is blowing. If you don't have an anchor, the, the, the ship is destroyed and totaled. We see this when hurricanes happen, right? And, then, and it's just the ships, so you just see a line of just damage and destruction. But when you have that anchor, even when the storm blows, the ship doesn't completely get destroyed because it's anchored in something. And he says, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul a hope, and that hope, look at this, entered the holy place. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. If, if Hope is not just that job. Hope is not just that relationship. Hope is not just that whatever it is. Hope is Jesus. And because of what he's done, I can have a hope that helps me to withstand the storms of life when life is hard and hope is hard. 
Jesus holds us down like an anchor. Has Jesus ever held you down? Oh, you know, some of y'all know in here know what I'm talking about. You thought you was about to go crazy. Everything seemed to be going wrong around you, but Jesus held you down like an anchor. And this is what biblical hope is talking about. It's not just our hope is not just in our hopes, but in the one who undergirds our hope. Let me say that again. Our hope is not just in our hopes, right? We're not just kind of baptizing my hope and then just saying, oh, look, now because I'm hoping in Jesus for my hope, now that makes it okay. No, no, no. Hope is ultimately in the one who undergirds all the hope because he is the source of the hope. In other words, everything in life that I hope for needs to be filtered through the lens of am I getting closer to Jesus? That is the basis through which I can even know and understand if my hope is actually legit and solidified. And that helps me get through hardships because some of the hardships God uses to make me more like Jesus. <laughs> some of the things that are the greatest disappointments become the opportunities for our greatest depth of intimacy with God. We'd be like, man, I wish I could pray more. I just wish I had more time to pray. And then something happened, you'd be like, Lord, I need you. And it ain't even a question of do I have enough time anymore, right? <laughs> now, it, this raises a question that I'm going to try to work through in real time. Like, is it possible to have faith without hope? I've, th I've thought about that. And actually, I don't know <laughs> fully where I land, but I will say this. I know of people who trust God, believe what they trust in a God, but they don't really trust God. <laughs> let, me, let me try it. There are people who it's possible to believe in God without believing God. <laughs> it's possible for you to go around and saying, I believe that God exists, but not that he's actually going to be involved in my situation. I'm not believing God. I'm just believing in God. And that's why hope is important to pair with faith. Because it is disastrous just to believe in God, but then not actually believe that he has your best interest at heart. That he actually is cared and concerned and involved in your life. Hope is eager expectation that the foundation is a good foundation. That's what hope is. Faith is the foundation. Hope is the blueprint. See, the blueprint says, oh, man, wait until this building gets done. It's about to be an amazing building that's being built. I can't see it right now, but I know it's coming. The foundation is laid, and so the, the building is going to be great. That's hope. So it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things unseen, or the evidence of things unseen, the conviction of things not seen. And that is the challenge for us, isn't it? The gap between reality and the future eager expectation, that's where hope comes in. And if that weren't enough, if we were to be honest, the combination of putting our eager expectations in the wrong thing in the past plus the gap that exists between the present reality and the future I'm hoping for makes it all the more difficult. In other words, because we have a back 
backdrop and we have a background and we have experience of putting hope in the wrong things, we can start to say to ourselves, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want to get my hopes up again because I know what happened last time. And that can make it difficult for us to believe God. And so it's just safer to believe in God. Where have you lost hope? Where have you lost hope? Where has your greatest expectations become even greater disappointments? That becomes the backdrop for what makes this difficult. You know, I've had my share of false hopes. Um, Many of us a couple weeks ago submitted our taxes. And I remember thinking like, you know, because in the past I had a history of getting a refund, like a check. But this time I got a bill. (laughs) Like the exact opposite of what I was hoping for happened is what happened. And so that dashed some hopes. There were some carts that had things in it that had to be removed and deleted. And that's why the foundation of hope is faith in God. And that's really key. In Hebrews eleven six, look at what he says. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because, any, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you see the combination of faith and hope there? First of all, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I can't please God because that's the foundation of the entire relationship. The fact that he exists, that's faith. The fact that he rewards, that's hope. The reward that comes after, it's like, I know I'm going through the struggle now, but oh, the reward is coming. I know that life is hard now, but oh, the reward is coming. And the, 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 the recipients of this letter was wondering whether Christ was worth the hardship and the persecution. They were wondering, is, they're doing this analysis and going, man, life is hard now. Should I just get rid of the Jesus so that I can just start to do the things that other people are doing around me and get the benefits? Is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And what the writer is saying is that you got to believe not just that he exists, but that he rewards. Somebody say rewards. Rewards those who are earnestly seeking him. But here's the thing. Reward comes after the hardship. Rewards always come after the triumph, after the trial. And here's a reality that's important for us to grasp. Faith is most important when doubt is most tempting. <laughs> That's when the rubber hits the road, right? Like, it's easy to believe when everything is going good. It's, it's when the trials come. It's when the difficulties is when I can't see it. Hope is most needed when despair is most powerful. That's when it really comes into play. And so the writer is saying Jesus is definitely worth it. And he has a lot to say about why Jesus is better than everything else that they might be trusting in. He's better than the law of Moses that they were trying to trust in. He's better than the angels that some people were trusting in. He's better than the community that they thought that they might lose. Christ is better. He's greater. And so as a result of such a great salvation, as a result of such of his pure and confident promises, we should hold on to hope. 
Look at what he says in 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a, a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I got to teach here for a minute. All right. So what he's saying is, he says, we have a hope in that faith. He says, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. So he refers to Jesus as living stone, right? He's the living hope. But first, Jesus was rejected by men. He was spit upon. He endured the crucifixion. He, he was lied on. He, he was de deceived. All the things happened to him, but he, after he died, rose again. And so even though he was rejected by men, in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. So then he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. So because Jesus went through all of that, and because Jesus is the one who entered into the holy place and connected us with God, now we are like him being stones also rejected by men, but also chosen and precious by God. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so if all that's not impressive enough, then he says he's a holy, we're a priesthood. Not only is Jesus the priest, the high priest that enters into the holy of holies, but he brought us along with him. You ever go someplace where you didn't have access and you didn't have the privileges, but you knew a person that did? And so you're like, uh, they're like, yeah, can I see your credentials? And they're like, no, he's with me. Come on. She's with me. Jesus is like, they're with me. They're with me. God, they're with me. You can go into the Holy of Holies now because they're with me. And so now everything that he has access to, we have access to, and then he calls them a cornerstone chosen and precious. A cornerstone was the foundation stone of the building. He's saying Jesus is the foundation of the faith, and because of everything that Jesus went through, we have access to as well. That's a sure hope. That's a sure foundation. That's what we build our lives on, and that's why we can have not just a hope, but the hope. It's distinctive. It's particular. Man, sometimes grammar will preach to you. You know what I mean? It's not just a, what do they call it? What kind, what, a is what kind of a noun, a pronoun? It's an um, indefinite article. Indefinite article means that it's kind of like something that's out there. It's possible it's out there. It's one of many things. It's, Jesus is the definite article. I am not just a hope, I am the hope. My English teacher's in here saying amen. That's all right. So he says Christ is superior. Christ is the hope. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we have to endure the hardships in order to get across the finish line. And so the author, what he does at this point, at the rest of the chapter, we're not going to get into it, but I encourage you to read it throughout the week, is he then goes and gives them, he calls the role of all those who had gone through the process of building their life on the foundation of faith and, and building their life on the blueprint of hope. And he calls their names, it's called the hall of faith oftentimes, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Rahab, by faith. And he goes down the line and says, look, and here's the thing about them. Some of them experienced the blessing and got to see it in their lifetime. Most of them did not. 
But he says their hope still didn't put them to shame because there was a bigger story that God was telling. What makes this confidence possible? The trustworthiness of the object of faith. It's not just faith in anything. It's not, oh, wow, you have a lot of faith, so that's good. Because as we've already decided and described, you can have faith in the wrong thing. But it's the object of our faith that makes it worthwhile. Tony Evans put it this way. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. I love that. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. That he is a rewarder. And how do we know? Because we just look at Jesus, because did he get rewarded after he went through the cross? So living hope is based on the only true foundation, faith in Jesus. But the house isn't complete just when the foundation gets laid. Oh, that's the essential part, but there's still more that has to happen. In Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See that connection again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the day as you, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Alienation and individualization in our society causes us to think, I just need to do this as an individual activity. But faith in Jesus is a team sport. And regardless of what we see about the negative stories you see about church and people, the reality is there's a greater story that God is telling in his community and that we have a need to be a part of. Living hope is built in community. That's why we gather. That's why we create these opportunities for us to fellowship. And I got to experience this firsthand, personally, the importance and the value of community. A few years ago, um, I was training, uh, I decided to train for a half marathon. And uh, did like a three-month training regimen, 13 miles. I'd never run anything close to that before. And so it was, it was, that was my solid foundation, this training. And then about two weeks before the race, I pulled my hamstring. And so I had to just shut it down for like two weeks and just hope that the day of I would have enough to, to get it through the race. And so I go to downtown. This was in Indianapolis, largest half marathon at the time, 35,000 people running, another thousands of people that are volunteers, and the atmosphere is electric. And because I've been just training by myself, I wasn't used to being around that type of energy. So the first, when, they, when, the, when the gun went off, I was moving. I was just, man, I'm, I'm looking at my watch. I'm making great time. Like, I'm killing my previous record times. And I'm doing good. But it was a hot day that day. And if anybody knows about running long distances on hot days, that's a problem. Especially, so around mile 10, that monkey jumped on my back. My hamstring started to tweak. And by mile 11, I was like, I'm dead. Like, I, I'm, I gotta stop. There's no way I can keep going. I am just dog tired. Maybe I should stop. Maybe I'm hurting myself if I keep going. And then as I'm like just struggling, I hear in the faint distance, go Russell, go Russell. And I'm like, Who, where's that coming from? And I'm, I'm like looking in the crowd and I don't see people. And then suddenly I see in the corner, my friends, one of them had like a Bell app on her phone, and she was like, da -da 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 
and they had like signs that they had made. And yo, I'm telling you, man, all of a sudden, the movement just started. I saw the finish line. I saw the finish line. I kept going and I got there. And this is the key lesson that I learned. Even though you need to have a personal faith to have the foundation, you also need community to build the house. And this is the last thing I'll wrap up in reading this. This is what the conclusion of the writer of Hebrews, what he says in Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, someone could even say for the hope that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's how we can run this race, focusing on Jesus That's the foundation, but also with the crowd of witnesses. Faith in Jesus is the foundation. Hope in Jesus is the focus. Would you stand with me and pray? So here's the opportunity we can have to respond. And we're going to give two different opportunities to respond This is a very specific call. And then after church, we'll give an opportunity for folks to come up and pray. But for this one, you may be here and realize you've been building your life on a faulty foundation. But those hopes that you had, whether they were your career, whether it was that relationship, whatever it was that was faulty, have ended in heartbreak and disappointment. The career opportunities you thought you would have have evaporated and dissipated. You've tried to cover up your own brokenness by your sweat and blood, only to now realize it is only by Jesus's sweat and blood that we're able to enter into the holy place and to have that right foundation laid. This is an opportunity, if that's you, to put your faith in Jesus as a firm foundation, as a hope that will not disappoint. And as we just read and described, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You have people around you right now who are praying for you, who are asking the Lord to give you the courage to make a decision right now because Faith is a team sport. But if that's you this morning and you realize, I want to go from the faulty foundation to the firm foundation of Jesus, this is an opportunity to come forward and we will lead you into that prayer. We will help you understand what it means to connect and actually build a life on hope and faith, on the only true foundation, Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean you'll be perfect. None of us are. We're not claiming that. But what we are claiming is that I'm no longer building on the wrong foundation of my life, of my efforts, of my goodness to save me. But I'm realizing that it is Jesus is the only one who can save. 
So whether you're up in the balcony or you're right here, we just want to ask you to come forward. And what this is what the coming forward does. It's, it gives us an opportunity to pray with you, to give you the resources you need, to kind of help you along in their faith journey. So if you're here today and you're like, y'all, I, I, want it, <laughs> I want my life to be built on Jesus, come forward today. Today is the day of salvation. You don't have to be afraid. I know when I was first making this consideration and I was sitting right where you sit and the spirit was doing his number in my heart and soul, but I just didn't want to be embarrassed. And I would later realize it wasn't even a thing about shame. Everybody wanted to support and celebrate the decision. So if that's you, just come forward. Make that decision to build your life on the firm foundation. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.